Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to The Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Hello, and welcome to the Built Revolution podcast. Uh, This is Clark Ellis, Principal of Continuum Advisory Group. And today I'm here with Fernanda Leche, Associate Professor of Civil Engineering at UT Austin. Uh, She's been working on CII projects over the last 10 years and serves on CII's Strategic Planning Committee. Today, we're going to be talking about a recent project called Technology Path to the Future, which is focused on innovation and looking at the future for the next 30 years to 2050. Uh, and so I'll start off by, by welcoming Fernanda and asking her to maybe you know, give us a couple words uh, to summarize or to describe the, the Technology Path to the Future project. Well, first off, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to, to join, um, join you today for this podcast. Um, so the, the idea with the Technology Path to the Future came about as, to serve as an inspiration for technology step change in the capital projects uh, industry. Um, so we, we, the whole process is, is really to change the culture of our industry to think outside the box and to think creatively and, and uh, develop new solutions to a lot of the problems that we face today as an industry. So we inspired ourselves at the very beginning, actually from the Jetsons. Um, <laughs> how, how from back in the 1960s, right? How do those cartoonists think about technologies that today are so ubiquitous in our lives, like video calls, uh, wearables, um, flying cars, which we know as, as drones today. Um, flat, flat screens, right? And flat screens as well. Yeah, so everywhere. all of those were just, yeah. And they were thought up of uh, not technologists, not in the engineers, not computer scientists. These were cartoonists. And they were just <laughs> free to think with, without um, any bounds and, and without being encumbered by their their experience, right? Their industry experience or technological limitations of the time. And mm-hmm. that inspired a whole generation of scientists to develop and implement those technologies and to make them reality today. And that's right. our vision with, with this uh, project is, uh, can we also serve as an inspiration to really push our industry forward in terms of, of technological advancement? Well, that's, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I've, I've been involved uh, in and, and been aware of a lot of different you know, industry efforts at change and improvement. But you don't hear the word inspiration very often in, in, those, in those efforts. Um, you hear things like transformation and um, revolutionization and things like that. But I, I, I really like the, the idea of inspiration because that, that's really that, that really motivates the human. You know, it really gets, gets people moving. Um, and, and moved, you know, to do things. So, um, so you, you went through a really interesting process, uh, and I'm really kind of, I'd really like to talk about a little bit more about that, and you kind of describe the process a little bit, and and maybe even talk about um, you know, why why you you de- designed or how you designed this process that that resulted in uh, in project uh, uh, in, in the 2050 project. Yeah. Um, so first off, the leadership committee, which is a subset of representatives from CII's technology committee, we basically began this effort 
just a little over a year ago with the idea that we we are all comfortable um, with the final result being a complete failure. So we were okay with that. So that 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 starting that mentality at the start of this project meant that we were freeing ourselves to really be creative because it didn't matter. We could totally fail and it would be fine. So we wanted this to be like a high risk, high reward kind of, of effort. Right. Let's try something totally different um, that CII has never um, has never quite tried before in terms of, of a pr- a process for, for our research. We don't even call our, our process a research process or a research approach. We, we called it a creative process. So what was okay. the process that we went about to develop this this work? So the first idea when we were uh, brainstorming, we thought, well, if we ha- come up with an idea, a, a vision for the future just within this room with a half a dozen people um, that all are, are in the same industry, all have, uh, have similar backgrounds, that's not going to be um, an innovative solution. So we really need to crowdsource um, ideas from a larger group of people and potentially people that don't quite understand the, the challenges that our industry faces. So they're basically unencumbered, right? So, so they don't have anything tying themselves or any, any burning fire that they have to address they can really be creative in that process. And that's why we began with our crowdsourcing workshops at universities. So we, we right. went to, to, to undergraduate students in various disciplines. So this wasn't only engineering students. We were looking at um, a, a, a cross-disciplinary representation from students. And we mm-hmm. had over 100 students participate in this effort. So we, went to, we started with the University of Texas at Austin. Then we went to Carnegie Mellon and we went to Georgia Tech as well. So we we carried out workshops in these three universities. And then our challenge was, well, how do we convince a group of very busy undergrads in these top schools to spend a Saturday afternoon with us in these uh, innovation workshops? And that's when we came up with the idea of the Mars Industries Workshop. And we uh, created a poster that was pretty vague to... to, uh, advertise it in the three universities, uh, basically that we were going to develop a, a, a workshop um, that uh, we want to pilot this idea of how can we build uh, a, a new venture in Mars and come help us envision this. And that's how we ended up attracting so many students to come come uh, to this workshop that uh, was cross-disciplinary in nature because we didn't give them too much information um, on what, what they were doing. Um, and the workshop was actually designed to be sort of a simulated boot camp for interpreters that were planning ventures in Mars. And when we were brainstorming what this workshop would be, we thought, well, it's got to be, it's got to place the participants in an environment in which is, it's, it's unknown. Um, it, th- there's got to be a sense of urgency. So it's got to have extreme resource sh- shortage. It's got to be in a dangerous, unfamiliar environment. And that's what's going to drive ingenuity. That's what. So, so that those were all the reasons why we 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 said let's put them in Mars, right? So, so let's put them in a in a really cool place that they don't know much about, and uh, you don't have all the resources that we have at at uh, the tip of our fingers here on Earth. Um, and so we placed them in Mars, and and we we um, built a series of activities that were uh, were this workshop became this workshop. Um, that that was then um, implemented in these three universities. 
That's really that's really fascinating, and, and I, I really when I when I reviewed the uh, you know the the summary you know of, of that uh, that process that was that that kind of you know when I first saw it I was like wow oh, this is really crazy you know to think about putting putting people in that uh, that mental state, but it also makes makes perfect sense if you're trying to get rid of you know all all of your your kind of mental models that are going to sort of guide you down a path um, a predetermined path. You know, so you're trying to get people's minds outside of you know, your current uh, your current constraints. Um, yeah. So that's 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 re- that's that's really neat. So um, so what was um, uh, what was the most uh, surprising thing, or what surprised you most during the during the workshops or the process? Well, the first workshop was at the University of, of Texas at Austin, mm-hmm. and the thing that surprised me the most was the wide range of ideas that we collected. So I have this mm-hmm. this photo that that I show in the in the uh, in the recording of, of our webinar mm-hmm. um, of a whole bunch of post-its, like maybe thousands of post-its on a wall. Mm-hmm. And po- the post-its are like fl- uh, falling off the wall. There's so many. It's just, it's just crazy the amount of ideas <laughs> that these students were able to come up with in such a short period of time. I had right. nightmares with post-its for the following <laughs> uh, few few nights, just thinking about how are we going to, how the heck are we going to organize all this? And right. make sense of all this because uh, the range was too broad. It ranged mm. from dating app on Mars to potato <laughs> fuel. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't help, right? So so it was too wide ranging, and yeah. it really didn't, didn't didn't apply much to our capital projects industry. So right. we had to sort of redesign the workshop for the Georgia Tech and the and the Carnegie Mellon versions okay. so that it was more focused on building something. Right. And right. And, uh, and and we redesigned it. That was the first lesson that we learned of how to scope it down so it's not too mm-hmm. broad, because if you ask people to come up with ideas, yeah, they'll come up with all sorts of crazy ideas. But you have to put some sort of, of uh, bumpers in those ideas and come up with a framework. Um, and 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 that's that also was part of the output of, of this effort is how do we come up with a framework? Right. So uh, people can actually develop an output that applies to a, a real world problem that, that we have now. Um, and so we that helped develop, um, reach to a point that we had as an output, a series of technology enablers. So technology enablers would be something like uh, modularization, standardization, mm-hmm. interoperability, user interface, right. automation, um, environmental sustainability, all those were the ina- uh, enablers uh, for, for technology in these projects. And we took those ideas and, um, uh, and, and used the technology committee, ex- uh, the members of that technology committee as a, a soundboard, right, to really test out, does this make sense? Do these enablers make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, do these ideas make sense as, as a framework? Um, and so once we tested this out with the technology committee, now with now we, we have the subject subject matter experts, then we said, well, now we have to actually test out the use of these um, enablers or this framework in right. a series of problems. Because that was a big lesson that we learned is that we needed to have a problem that they're trying to solve, a very yes. specific problem. Right. Um, and that's where we came about, um, the, the idea of the challenge teams came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenge teams were basically, we said, well, let's launch a handful of challenge teams initially to test out this process, this ideation process in a very structured format, right? So they're trying to yeah. solve a very specific problem 
in uh, very specific time increments, the five, 10 year and 30 year mark. Um, right. And they also have to address the technology enablers for that, um, that problem. Um, and so that uh, ended up, then, then we have to come up with what, what are the problems that we want to address? And, and right. we came up with, uh, with a series of, of, of problems, including how do we build with no cranes, yeah. um, no cranes on the job site? Um, how do we build with uh, no humans on a job site? Um, how do we completely eliminate the permitting processes? If you're, you already designed to code, you don't have to right. check, um, uh, that, that you're designed into, into code and how do we completely change I'd, our I'd industry? I'd sign up for that one right now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no doubt. Um, and how do we co- completely change the, the, the perception of our industry from black to green, or right. we even had a, a, a title, uh, green is the new black, right. For, for our <laughs> industry. Um, by, by integrating, by including more circular economy concepts in the right. industry. And now CII is really um, investing in that direction. There's a new uh, research team that's kicking off this fall at CII that's focused on circular economy yep. for our industry. Um, so, so that's where we came about with these, the idea with these challenge teams is, okay, so let's get a group of people very small group of people. They're going to work 100% online. They're going to try to uh, come up with solutions, technological solutions for one very specific problem um, that they understand. They understand our industry. They understand our, our constraints. But now we put them in a, in a position of, of what we call extremum, right? Because it's hard to think, well, no people on a job site, no cranes on a job site. That's not possible. Well, if you put people in, the, in a position of, of an extreme, they're going to have to come up with a solution, whatever, yeah. whatever that may be. Even though uh, in reality, you would probably still have some, some version of a crane or, or, or a few people on the job site. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't pos- uh, probably wouldn't be that extreme. But putting yourself in that extreme is the first step of really thinking outside the box. Yeah, um, it reminds, reminds me a little bit of the, the Apollo 13 when they... Yeah, the engineers in Houston sat down and said, "Okay, they dumped all the stuff out on the table. Said this is what those guys have up there. We've got to we've got to figure out how to bring them back using only this stuff. Um, there only, you go. Only only what they have available. So it kind of you know t- totally got them so got them thinking creatively and you know, coming up with a solution. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's what and, reminded and, me of. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and and it also is a is a very engaging and fun process. That's what we kept hearing from from people that participated in the challenge teams. We heard, well, mm-hmm. this was this was fun. Um, it was fun because it was a very short time period. So they all had a total of six weeks, um, and they weren't working full time on this. They all had their their right. uh, full time jobs. So it was a six week sprint. They had a very specific problem. They had three uh, three timestamps that they had to address and they had to follow the structure of the technology enablers. So it was pretty specific what they had to come up with. Um, and so for the Mill Cranes team, they started their, their ideation process. You know, let's just talk about all the technologies that we can think of, right? So they, they sort of brainstormed a whole bunch of different technologies. Then they categorized the technologies into flying things, robotics, new materials, um, additive manu- manufacturing, emerging mechanisms, and they even had a category called crazy ideas for the year 2050 <laughs> and beyond. And I love that category, and one of which was a zero-gravity bubble tent, which was <laughs> actually my, my, my favorite of all of the ideas of all of the challenge teams that, that they came up with. Um, 
And and the the interesting thing is that they use all all the challenge teams use different ways to represent their ideas. Some um, use hand drawn sketches. Some use clips from Hollywood movies, um, mm. like Iron Man, right? To 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 yeah. describe. Here's a, the use of an exoskeleton, right? In 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 our industry, um, and and it they they really they really used any mechanism that they they felt comfortable with to describe that creative idea that they had. Um, and, and they also leverage so that the, the 5, 10 and, and 30 year mark helps them uh, transition from, well, what do we have now? Um, which in five years, we could probably start using an industry if we start prototyping, testing, tinkering with now. Um, and in 10 years, it might be something that you're modifying or adopting from some other industry. And, in, and uh, the 2050 is really that playful um, that playful level. And the year 2050, we, we, we uh, identified that number just with that estimate of in, a, in 30, 30 years is the average life of, of a commercial building. Uh, and so okay. assuming that in 30 years, we're going to have a renovation of our building stock, uh, there's going to be also drastic uh, technological transformations in how we build and how we design. And that's why we came up with that 30-year mark there for for the the longest uh, uh, the longest uh, uh, lifespan there right. of, of looking forward well that's kind of interesting and you know when I was when I read through the the definitions on the 5 10 and 30 um, it was kind of an interesting thing talk about you know, the the five year um, kind of perspective because I thought it was very interesting that, that one of the points there was you know th- this is really in a five-year time period we, we realistically, are going to have to look for essentially technologies that already exist in our industry and just essentially maybe use them differently or use them more effectively. Um, yeah. am, I, am I hitting that correctly? Because I thought that was, was an interesting way of framing things. I think sometimes when people think about innovation, one of the problems is that they, they have a hard time conceptualizing the what's realistic you know, progress look like over, yeah. a, you know, over, a, over a finite period. So CII also has the technology committee within CII has a subcommittee called Horizon 360. And that committee uh, is and I was I was uh, one of the first chairs of that committee several years ago. And this committee works on basically scanning the horizon for for technologies and other industries that can potentially impact our industry in the next 30 years. And when we scan, we, we can also scan for technologies that might that we might already be have the potential to be prototyping right now or those mm-hmm. crazy ideas. So in a way, those those timestamps, the 5, 10, and, and 30-year marks, they were were inherited or they actually came from the the idea of the Horizon 360 committee, which has been working on this, this scan, technology scan, for the, the last uh, few years. Okay. Um, and so it's 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 not like drones are something completely new. Uh, right. what, what's new? What's more uh, innovative right now and more impactful for our, our industry are heavy duty drones, right? Drones that can really lift um, uh, lift more weight, right? And can work in conjunction together and possibly in tandem, right? Just like uh, sometimes we have two tower cranes working in tandem possibly two, two heavy-duty drones working in tandem to, to, to perform heavy lifts. So that's what's innovative about it, that that idea, that general idea of, of drones already exists, but how do we adapt it to make it work um, for our industry? Or, yeah, or how do you, how do you combine 
maybe it's 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 uh, optics and sensing technology with with drone technology so that you can you can do more with a drone um, absolutely you know, absolutely and, yeah that's okay that that makes a lot of sense and yeah i think sometimes you know i, I see organizations get stuck in innovation uh efforts because they really they're having a hard time saying well okay i understand we want to we want to change the world in 10 years but what, what should we be doing in two years and then in five years, you know, and it's hard. And I thought, I thought those categories, the way you defined the five, 10 and the 30 were very helpful in terms of making it very concrete. Um, I hope that was, that was interesting. It's something I think that, that a lot of organizations would benefit from that thinking. Absolutely. So, so, um, so what do you think, um, what would you do differently next time? Would, well, first of all, we just want to want to comment that it was very interesting that, you know, the process itself was, you know, almost like a continuous improvement process, the way you described it, you know, as you, you learned and every, you know, you learned something from each interaction and honed the process and made it better. But, um, and so it obviously where, where you ended up was, a, was a much different place than where you started, but, but what, what are one or two things that you do differently, you know, the next time that you were, you're leading something, uh, an effort like this? Well, first, first thing that I'll comment as an academic, right, we, we don't really, if you're doing research, we don't quite know what the research outcome is going to be. And when mm -hmm. we're presenting a research, uh, the, the final research product, it seems all logical that like we all thought about that from the very beginning. Um, yeah. So imagine like a straight line, right? If I were to draw this, it would be a straight line, a horizontal line, right? Okay. Uh, but in reality, the research process and this process is, it was no different. It's like a totally squiggly line. And at the very end on the right-hand side of your paper, then it becomes a straight horizontal line, right? When things start coming together. Um, and so um, it, I learned a lot from this process and from the feeling of, of just being okay with the discomfort of not knowing what the, the final product is. And I'm glad my, my, my team, the leadership team in the path to the future was okay with that discomfort as well. And that's that's the, the, the thing with a lot of people in our industry, they're really very uh, risk averse, right? They, they really want to control risk. And, and that was the first thing is forget about it. We, this can be a total failure, but it's okay being, being a total failure. Um, so in a way, um, it, it's almost like putting people in that discomfort was actually a good thing. So I don't know if I would change that piece of it. What I would change was possibly not having such a broad a broad, um, a, 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 a broad way of thinking about, oh, a, a solving a problem, but being more specific on what that problem is. And that's why we came up with those themes for the challenge teams that were very specific in the end. Um, and, and that's why we intend to actually continue that effort. So the challenge teams are, are not over. Um, so these were just the pilot uh, challenge teams. We're launching, the technology committee at CII is, is going to be launching a new uh, set of, of challenge teams. It's, it's going to be a continuous effort within CII to really have cohorts of people move through this ideation process. Um, and one other piece that we of information that we collected from these five initial challenge teams were ideas for future challenge teams. So we already have a series of ideas lined up to start launching these new teams that will follow this same structured process um, in a six-week sprint that the original challenge teams followed. Well, that's a, that's really exciting. So, how, how do people get involved in that? 
well, uh, contact the, the CII's technology committee, either mm -hmm. John Palmer, Heather Beal, myself, uh, reach out to any one of us. I'm going to continue uh, staying involved with the challenge team's effort um, with, with CII. And uh, we're, we're definitely recruiting and open uh, to, to engaging with, with CII member, member companies. Anybody who, who, who wants to, to learn about this ideation process, wants to go through this, this uh, creative um, creative process of thinking about how can we change our industry um, in the next few decades. So welcome to join That's, us. That sounds fantastic. So um, one, one, final, one final question, um, and that is after having gone through this, um, what would be your advice to companies or organizations or even teams you know, within organizations about you know, how, how should they approach uh, innovation and transformation, maybe maybe not even of their industry as much, but uh, of their of their organization, and, and could could they apply this process or elements of this process to to make that happen more more effectively? That's a great question. I think that we need to provide people space to be able to to be creative, um, and oftentimes a lot of of, com of of companies that depend on creative ideas, creative processes to survive, they tend to provide that flexibility. For people to to uh, engage in creative processes by freeing up their time, one one way of doing it is is uh, freeing up uh, your your uh, your workforce's time by having them engage in efforts such as this one with CII, in which they would be investing time uh, time, but in this creative ideation process, in which they learn how to to think outside of their day to day uh, day to day operation. Um, and it's a continuous learning process, right? It's not something that uh, we, we can just one, one morning we, we wake up and we're going to have, um, you know, completely change in, in, in mindset. It, it, it takes, a, a, it's a culture shift of, right. of, um, of how we, we think. And I think getting involved in these efforts is one way to really get outside of your comfort zone. Um, and, um, and, and invest your time in, in uh, learning how to um, carry out an ideation process that you can potentially translate back into your, your company. And companies can also develop their own um, teams, challenge teams, right? So CII, this team, the, the Path to the Future team, the report describes our framework. And so if somebody in a, in a, in a, a CII member company you know, downloads that report, they can uh, develop their own challenge teams program and have their um, their uh, workforce engage in those creative processes internally, just within their companies as well. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you know your your point's well taken. This is not uh, this is not a pill that you take or something. You know, it's it, or an inoculation, right? This this is a, a a mind shift and a culture shift. And uh, the best way to change is is to start start working on it. And to go out there and gain some experience, and you know, all that give give your folks the the freedom to to start being exposed to different ways of thinking and different frameworks, and then you know, challenge them to to bring those back into the context to where they're working. I think that's uh, that's great advice um, and an exciting process. Um, I that that brings us to the conclusion uh, of our discussion. Um, you know, Fernanda, do you have any any other uh, last comments you want to make before we sign off? 
Well, I, I just wanted to piggyback on this last comment that you made. It's not a pill that you take. And that's so true. It's a habit, right? It's a habit that you build of uh, this creative process. And uh, it, I, I was just remembering a book that I read recently called Atomic Habits that is really about how to how to change habits in our day to day life to, to uh, reach, you know, big, um, big transformations in our life. Um, and it's a, a great read. Um, just make a plug there for 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 the book. <laughs> well, thank you. In fact, you know, I, I've, I've got my, uh, you know, a lot of people go to college and gain their freshman 15 and I, I've got my COVID 15. There you I'm, go. I'm, I've been sitting, I'm just sitting around here cooking every night. So, uh, so maybe I'll take that and, and uh, see if I can knock that off. But uh, great, great conversation as always. Uh, Fernanda, thank you so much. Uh, Fernanda Lecce, uh, Associate Professor of Civil Engineering at UT Austin. Uh, and I'm Clark Ellis, Principal with Continuum Advisory Group, and this has been the Built Revolution Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution Pod, brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Built Revolution Pod, or email us at hello at builtrevolutionpod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.